As we begin this morning, I want to read to you a portion of Psalm 24 that reminds us that we have a king and that he is ruling and reigning right now. Listen to this. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the waters. Who shall ascend to the hill of the Lord and who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully, he will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek the face of the God of Jacob. Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is the King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates, and lift them up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. Normally we would sing, but as you might have noticed in the church-wide email, we have the songs laid out for you, so we would encourage you to listen to those songs throughout the day or sing them as a family together. But now we need to turn to, after hearing of our glorious great king, let us now confess together our sin and acknowledge that we are needy people, that we are broken people, that we need the grace of God to continue to work in our lives, not only to forgive, but also to continue to bring us to Christ and see his glory and see his beauty for us. As you receive the church-wide email, you can see that our confession of sin is there. If you would, let's acknowledge our brokenness together. We're going to read this together. You might notice that the third line up from the end of the confession, there's a typo. And so notice one of those words uh, we're not going to say together, the word self. So we're going to omit that word. But otherwise, let's confess this together. Triune God, your love predates the creation of the world and continues in the life to come. You formed us in your image. As your children, we were made to reflect your glory, beauty, and truth. But that was not enough for us. We wanted our own way. We build our lives by what we believe to be right in our own eyes. We confess Pride produces nervousness and isolation. We struggle to trust that you are in control, but you refuse to leave us to ourselves. In grace, you pursue us and confront our sin. Your grace not only convinces us of our self-sufficiency, it also brings us into a life defined by the cross and empty tomb. Jesus, you went to the cross to crucify our sin. Your empty tomb brings new life with you and your church. Holy Spirit, continue to bring us to the cross and the empty tomb. Convince us that life with Christ is far better than a self-absorbed life. Complete the work you have started. All is of grace. Amen. 
Friends, if you would, let's take a few moments and silently think through what we just confessed together. Perhaps ask God to search your heart. Maybe something stuck out as you read this. Let's take a few moments and talk to the Lord. Identify what it is that's going on in your own life and literally tell him about it. Let's do that now for a few minutes. We thank you, Lord, that because of Christ and his blood, we have boldness to come to your throne and that your throne, O King, is a throne of grace. So hear us as we pray. Thank you that you hear us because of Christ. Thank you that your spirit is at work within us to want to talk with you and confess. Thank you for being our God, the God of all grace. For it is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Beloved, I want you to know that God is a forgiving God. You might not find forgiveness anywhere else, but you can always find it in him. Hear these words as I borrow them from the Apostle Paul and feel free to repeat them as you desire, as you are able, for they are the confident hope that we have in Christ. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and who died for me, who loved us and who died for us. Beloved, our forgiveness is a guarantee because of what Christ has done. Now let us confess our faith together, having heard of God's pardoning us because of Christ. Let's confess our faith as we recite the Nicene Creed together, standing on the shoulders of those who have gone before us. Let's confess this together. It's also in your churchwide email in the bulletin. We believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, begotten from the Father before all ages, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of the same essence as the Father. Through him all things were made, for us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven. He became incarnate by the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary and was made human. He was crucified for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried. The third day he rose again, according to the scriptures. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again with glory to judge the living and the dead. His kingdom will never end. And we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life. He proceeds from the Father and the Son, and with the Father and the Son is worshiped and glorified. 
He spoke through the prophets. We believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. We affirm one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look forward to the resurrection of the dead and to the life in the world to come. Amen. Good morning. Uh, It's good to be with you uh, this morning uh, on this uh, Palm Sunday uh, where the church uh, celebrates the beginning of uh, the Holy Week where we see the lowest of lows and the, the highest and highs of highs in all of history. Uh, and we look toward Jesus' crucifixion, but then his resurrection that we will celebrate together next Sunday on, uh, on Easter Sunday. Uh, but it, it, it's fitting that we look at the text that we're going to look at this morning on this Palm Sunday of Second Samuel chapter 7 and uh, God's everlasting covenant that he makes with King David that is ultimately fulfilled uh, in Christ. And so we're going to look at Second Samuel 7, uh, the first 17 verses uh, together this morning. And as you're, you're turning there or looking there in your order of worship, um, just a little bit of a review. Last week, uh, Dave uh, took us through the, the, the book of Judges and looked at it from a, a big picture standpoint and how Judges shows us that, uh, that apart from Christ, the longings of our hearts are bent on self and that we need Christ to come from outside of ourselves and to change, to shift our longings, to love him and to love each other and to love the place where God has put us. Well, moving forward in beyond the book of Judges, things don't really get uh, much better. It's a pretty rough book and things don't get much better. But then we come to 2 Samuel 7 and this is really kind of a a high watermark uh, for the people uh, of God uh, in the Old Testament. And so I'm going to read to us the first three verses and then I'm going to skip down to the second half of verse 11 and read through uh, verse 16 and then we'll spend some time uh, digging into God's word. But beloved, this is God's word for us this morning. Now when the king lived in his house and the Lord had given him rest from all his surrounding enemies, the king said to Nathan the prophet, see now I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells in a tent. And Nathan said to the king, go do all that is in your heart for the Lord is with you. Moving down to the second half of verse 11. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. When your days are are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the sons of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him, as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. Uh, Let's pray together and ask God to help us understand uh, his word this morning. Uh, Gracious Heavenly Father, We do pray that you would enliven our imaginations, that you would open our eyes and uh, our hearts uh, to see that you are a God who is at work, building your people, pursuing us in your grace, saving us in your one and only Son, our Savior, Jesus, and through his blood. Uh, 
And Holy Spirit, we pray this morning that you would help us to understand the word of the Lord. That you would help us to see how deep our sin is, but how big God's grace to us in Jesus is. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, one of the, the joys of, uh, of being a parent is, uh, l- is getting to see your children uh, learn language and, uh, and learn how to talk and how to communicate. As Carrie and I are moving out of the, the stage of having infants and, and now our children are getting a little bit older, uh, I've spent some time reflecting on some of those moments when our children were younger and, and thinking about what are the things that really kind of stick out to me. And one of the big things that stuck out to me with each of our children is uh, them learning how to speak, uh, learning language. Um, and it's a really remarkable thing when you see children, they begin to sort of parrot and mimic their parents and what their parents are trying to teach them to say. And obviously that usually starts with mommy uh, and daddy. They seem to actually do no on their own um, pretty, uh, pretty easily, pretty readily. And then they move from that stage where they, they have this stage where they begin talking and babbling and and it's it seems that they know exactly what it is that they're saying uh, but we don't really know what it is that they're saying. But they are developing in their language and growing in that. Uh, and then that moves from, you know, some of the babbling turns into actual phrases and sentences. And, uh, and then they begin to be able to communicate with you in the same language that you are uh, communicating with them. It's a really remarkable thing. It's a really beautiful thing. Um, it's a really awesome thing. And the idea of language connects us with 2 Samuel 7 because in 2 Samuel 7, what we have is God's covenant that he makes with David that is an everlasting covenant that is ultimately fulfilled in Jesus. And what I want us to think about together this morning in this passage is how covenant is the language of the four-part story of Scripture that we've been going through together through the Bible this year of creation and rebellion and our sin and our turning from God and God's pursuit of us and his grace and redeeming us in Jesus and in Jesus restoring all things and coming to make all things new. Covenant is the language of the four-part story. Now, a little bit of background running up to 2 Samuel chapter 7. As we've already said, We looked at Judges last week. Things were not really good. Everybody's doing what is right in their own eyes. And then coming out of the book of Judges, the people of Israel, they say, we want a king. But we want a king like the nations around us. And God had promised long before to Abraham that he was going to have kings come through him. But God's people want a king, and they want a king like the nations. And so God's people choose their king, And their king is Saul. And things don't end well for Saul. He's actually even mentioned in this passage that we've just read. But while they're choosing Saul, God himself is choosing his own king. And his own king that he's choosing is a man named David, who we run into here in 2 Samuel 7. And God uh, chooses David. And David is described to us as a man who is after God's own heart. Now, David is certainly not 
perfect, and we will even see that here in 2 Samuel 7 today. But leading up to this passage, what has happened is that David has led God's people through a series of really great military victories. And he has actually united all of the tribes of God's people into one unified people. And he has established the capital city for where God's people will reside in Jerusalem. And we even see that the Ark of the Covenant, where God resides in his presence with his people, is brought into Jerusalem. You could say that David is riding high on a lot of success right now as we come to 2 Samuel 7. And then we come to this passage, and this passage, it begins with a conversation. A conversation between King David and his pastor, Nathan. Verse 1 tells us that God has given David rest from all of his enemies. And then in verse 2, David comes to his pastor Nathan and he expresses to Nathan, I am living in this cedar house. And cedar, much like it is today, was not a cheap wood. It was actually a very expensive material. And so this house that David is talking about would have been uh, a very expensive house that would have been made. And he recognizes that he resides in that house. And yet God is still residing in a tent. And then in verse 3, we get, uh, we get a window into what some of that conversation ultimately looked like. Because it seems clear that David is going to Nathan and telling Nathan, I want to build God a house. And Nathan responds to David and he tells David, go and do all that is in your heart for the Lord uh, is with you. Well, Later that evening, as Nathan gets some space from that conversation that he and David had and seems to be reflecting on that, uh, God comes to him and he reveals something to him. So it goes from a conversation in our passage to a revelation. And in verses 4 through 7, we get the beginnings of this revelation that God gives to Nathan. God comes to Nathan and he tells Nathan, Nathan, you need to go back to David and you need to ask David, have I asked you to build me a house? As a matter of fact, have I ever even asked anyone to build me a house since I delivered my people from slavery and bondage and oppression in Egypt? I never asked the judges to build me a house, and I haven't asked you to build me a house. I have really always, more than anything, just wanted to be with my people in their presence. Going through what they are going through, being with them, experiencing life with them, where they are, what they are going through. David, you might be living in this really nice, expensive cedar house, but my people are not. And you need to know something, David. My people are and will always be my priority. And then in verse 8, God gets personal with David. Let's look back together at verse 8 real quick. Now therefore, thus you shall say to my servant David, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, that you should be prince over my people, Israel. God tells Nathan, Nathan, you need to go remind David of who he is. 
and where he has come from. Remind David that he was a shepherd in Bethlehem, and I chose him to be a prince over my people. And there's something that's really interesting that's being communicated there with that language of David being a prince, because it's clear to everybody that David is King David, but God says, no, David is a prince. Why? Because God is actually the king of his people. And so he says, I made you a prince. And he will go on uh, in the verses following to say, I'm the one who cut off your enemies for you. He even says, I've never left you. I've always been with you. My presence has always been with you. He says, I will be the one who will make your name great. And he says, David, you also need to know that I am the one who will take care of my people. And I will plant them where I want them to be. And what God is doing in this, in this revelation that he is giving to Nathan, is he is revealing a little bit of David's heart to Nathan. You see, David has come on some good successes in life. He's a military leader who's had a lot of great victories. He's united God's people together, all of the different tribes. He's established this capital city. He's brought the Ark of the Covenant into the capital city. And it seems that David is thinking pretty highly of himself here. That David is maybe even thinking to himself, you know, I'm a pretty successful guy. God could, he could use a guy like me. Like I could do some things for him. Like I could build God a house. He could really use a guy of my accolades and my accomplishments and what I have done. You know, I bring a lot to the table here and God could use someone like me. One pastor puts it that David in this moment is overstepping his place. And what we get to see here and God reveals to Nathan is a deep-seated pride that's in David's heart. And this won't be the last time that we see that pride. And then in verse 11, God actually turns the tables on David's plan to build him a house. And God says to Nathan, you need to go and tell David, you're not going to build me a house. I will build you a house. I will build you a house. And what God is communicating in that is Covenant. Covenant. This idea that we see littered throughout the scriptures of covenant, of this relationship that God has with his people that is established by him and it is by his grace and it is all because of his work and what he has done and what he is doing and what he will do in Christ. Covenant is what God tells David here. And he says, the house that I'm going to build you, the covenant that I'm making with you, it is rooted in my story that I am writing. In the reality that I am good and I made everything good. And in the reality that, David, you are rebellious deep down in your heart. And he'll even reveal to him, your son's also going to be rebellious as well too. David, you have inherited sin and death, but I am a God who pursues in grace, and I redeem, and I will redeem by the blood of my son, Jesus. Sin and death are no match for my covenant, no match for my 
kingdom. I redeem those things. And oh, by the way, David, the house that I'm going to build you, it's not built out of some cedar like you're trying to build a house for me. It is built out of people. And it is my people. And it is my kingdom that will be with me forever. In verses 4 through 16 of this chapter, almost every single action verb that is used is a first person singular action verb and the person who is doing the acting is God himself. God will be the one who will make this eternal covenant happen. How? How does God do that? Beloved, if you'll remember, one of our threads that we're thinking through in the four-part story of Scripture this year is this reality. Everything is moving toward Jesus. You see, Jesus is the king whose throne is everlasting. Jesus is the one who fulfills the covenant. Verses 12 through 13, God tells David, David, you're going to die. You're going to go, you're going to lay down with your fathers, but there's going to be a king who is going to come who is going to defeat death, and death will have no hold over him. Verses 14 and 15, David, you are sinful deep down in your heart, and your son will also be sinful, and and the descendants that come from you will be, but I am sending you a king who is my one and only son who will defeat sin by becoming sin for his people. Verse 16, time will have no constraints over my son Jesus who is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Time has no power. King Jesus is absolutely 100% unstoppable. And he will make sure that this covenant comes through. All of this, beloved, moves toward Jesus. Death? Jesus defeats death by dying. But death had no power over him. We see in the book of Acts that he had to be raised from the dead. Because death had no power over Jesus. Sin. Jesus defeats sin by becoming our sin. The apostle Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians that Jesus knew no sin. Not an ounce. Not even a little bit. Not a thought. Not a word. Not an action. But he became our sin so that we would be righteous through his blood. Time. Jesus overwhelms time with eternity. This covenant God says to David that I'm making with you is an eternal one. Jesus overwhelms time with eternity in his glory and his eternity secures our own eternity. Beloved, covenant is the language of the four-part story of Scripture. And Jesus actually does it. He actually accomplishes it. He really and truly is King of kings and Lord of lords. This covenant that God makes with David here is absolutely fulfilled in Christ. And we would even see this many years later as we think about this Palm Sunday as Jesus comes into Jerusalem And they say, Hosanna, it's the son of David, but it is the greater son of David because it is King Jesus 
whose covenant is an eternal one, and he brings us into that with him, beloved. Now, before we finish, I have a few takeaways for us to consider uh, from our text together this morning. So I want to spend a few times, uh, a few moments here together and talk about a few takeaways. Let's think about David for a second here. David struggled with pride. David was thinking to himself, you know, I've accomplished a lot here. There have been a lot of good things that I've done. I've got quite a few things to bring to the table. Um, God could use a guy like me. I could do some serious work for him. I could make things better for God. I could make things easier for God. I could give him uh, the house that he's always wanted. Um, David has some deep-seated pride in his heart. And the way that the scriptures talk about our sin and our pride at times is through this language of idolatry. And Dave talked about this a little bit last week in the book of Judges, this idea of idolatry. And what idolatry is, is idolatry is when we turn to anything other than God to find our identity. For David, the idol of his heart, which is expressed in pride here, is he really feels like he is self-sufficient. That is an idol that is in his heart. He's very prideful. But we too are prideful too. And idolatry is truthfully, it's all around us and it's also in our own hearts. Think about it like this. Our culture has numerous idols. Let me just name a few for us. One big idol in our culture in the United States is the idol of individualism. The me first mentality, the my desires, my rights, my wants, my needs above everything else. Me being the one who is right and you just need to follow along and follow in line with me. And if you aren't on board with me and what I want to do, then you need to just get out of the way. We live in a country that is absolutely built on the idol of individualism, as some have said, it is a rugged individualism that is, uh, at the end of the day, that it, that it prizes self above everything else. And then we actually take these, the, the, this individualism value, the me first value, and, and we try to find people that agree with exactly what we want and what we desire, and we create another idol that is an extension of individualism in our culture that's called tribalism. That if you don't think the same way that we do, if you don't value the same things that we do, you must be evil even. Only interested. Tribalism is only interested in the things that divide us. That we are right and what that does is that gives us the right to judge others' hearts, to judge others' motives, to stand in a place of judgment upon everybody else other than ourselves. And what's sad, beloved, is these things have even seeped into the church. I mean, how often in the church are we most concerned that people see that we are right? more than anything else. Have we forgotten to lead with mercy and grace? 
Have we forgotten that God comes to us and he leads with mercy and grace to us in Jesus? And yes, God shows us our shortcomings. Yes, God shows us our, our sin. But he never does without offering mercy and grace in Jesus. Have we gotten to the point where we miss that every single human being bears God's image in his world? And therefore, first and foremost, humans, people are to be seen as having unique worth in God's eyes and appreciated. Or are we more concerned with judging other people's hearts and their motives and having that place of judgment? And what else is true is we, like David, we carry our own personal idols with us as well too. We struggle with the idol of individualism. We struggle with the idol of tribalism. I feel like I personally really identify with David here and struggling with the idol of self-sufficiency and pride in my own heart. I can convince myself at times for sure, you know, Lord, I got a lot to bring to the table here. Um, there's some things that, that, that I could do and, and I convince myself that God could use a guy like me just like David does. Pride can be an idol of my heart. Even in this particular time that we find ourselves, I've discovered the Lord has been gracious to reveal to me the pride in my own heart of thinking that ministry must go the way that I think that it should go. And this whole pandemic has really pressed on me and against me to look at Maybe there's places in my own heart and in my own life that I thought I was doing ministry better than God himself was and is. Beloved, God is at work even in the midst of what we are experiencing right now. And he is working in our own hearts to show us our own idols that we have. What are your idols? What do you have that you struggle with in finding your identity apart from Christ? your Savior. Is it pride? Is it individualism? Tribalism? Maybe this whole pandemic has risen to the top for you, the idol of control that you and I have, the idol of power, and we feel helpless now because we can't do anything about what's going on. And what happens is that our idols, what they do is they isolate us and they blind us from the sin that is deep down in our hearts. And what's true is that each and every one of us, just like David, we need a friend like Nathan. We need a friend like Nathan who will help us see the idols of our hearts. And this is really crucial for us right now. In this moment and in this space and in this time. Because if idols isolate us from others, we find ourselves in a situation right now where we are being told to isolate ourselves literally from everybody else around us to protect the, the, the public and to protect the greater good and health of our communities and there's something that's actually really beautiful about that, that, that we would be in this moment in time in this space where the narrative is think about others more than yourself. But let me tell you, if you're anything like me, 
being told to isolate can lead into me just hunkering down and isolating myself in such a way that I've cut everything off around me. In this moment in time and space, beloved, we don't need to do that. Isolation, staying at home, being safe, all of that, absolutely. But that doesn't mean that we keep our presence from each other. That doesn't mean that we don't still need friends like Nathan to help us see the idols that are in our hearts, to help us see that we need Jesus, to help us see ourselves as we are. And so every time that if you're anything like me, you really wish that you could give a hug right now in this time and in this space, and you know that you can't, and that we really, really shouldn't, how about picking up the phone? Calling a friend, checking in on each other, setting up Zoom meetings, confessing to one another. I'm really struggling with control right now. Everything feels out of my hands, and I know that it is. Speaking grace and truth and mercy in the blood of Jesus to one another, we do not need to isolate ourselves from that, beloved. We need friends just like David needed Nathan. We need to reach out. We need to call. We need friends to help us see the idols of our hearts, to see how deep our sin is, so that we would see how deep God's grace to us in Jesus is. And you know what else is true? Jesus is absolutely our king. And Jesus is the king of kings, and he's the Lord of lords. And Jesus is also our best friend. And Nathan, the best thing that he can do for David is show him his best friend, who is God. Who is Jesus, God in the flesh, come to die for our sin and forgive us. And so Jesus is our king and Jesus is also our friend. And it is his kindness that leads us to see our idols. To repent and to believe that his blood covers our sin. Idolatry, beloved, is the enemy of covenant. Idolatry is the enemy of covenant. And Jesus is absolutely committed to this eternal covenant that God makes here in 2 Samuel 7, which means that Jesus is going to be absolutely committed to helping us see our idols, that we might see his forgiveness on the cross. It means that Jesus will be absolutely committed to his people to build his people in his grace and in his mercy because he is committed to this everlasting covenant. Jesus is committed to showing us how much better life with him is than life pursuing our idols and pursuing isolation away from him and others. You see, because life with Jesus means that neither death nor sin nor time will ever stop his love for us. Beloved, covenant is the language of the four-part story. And Jesus fulfills the covenant that God makes with David here. Jesus is the culmination of the reality that God made everything good. Jesus is the culmination of the reality that we have rebelled and turned from God. But Jesus became our sin for us to purchase life for us. 
and Jesus redeems us in his blood and his kingdom is here and it is coming and he will make all things new and he will rid this world of sin, disease, and he will wipe every tear away from our eye and we will dwell in his house forever. Beloved, Jesus is our covenant-keeping king. Let's pray together. Gracious Heavenly Father, we pray this morning that you would impress upon our hearts your goodness, your love, your grace, and your mercy to us in Christ. And so we pray that you would help us see the idols that are in our hearts, that we might confess those, that we that you might work repentance in us to turn away from those and to continue to turn to you and to turn to the blood of Jesus again and again and again. And Holy Spirit, we know that none of this happens apart from your work in us. And so we pray that you would have your way with us. And we pray these things in the name of Christ, our King. Amen. A couple of questions for you to consider discussing um, this afternoon with your family, maybe reaching out to a friend and discussing uh, based on 2 Samuel 7. One would be, what are some of the idols of your heart? What are some of the idols of your hearts that you're struggling with today? Um, And the other would be, how does Jesus meet you in the midst of that and show you his grace and his mercy And as we transition to hearing God's blessing from his word, know that this blessing is a blessing that is by grace, by mercy, and it is purchased in the blood of Jesus, beloved. The Lord will bless you and he will keep you. This week, your God's smile is upon you and he will be gracious to you. And today, and this week, and this month, and this year, and forever, and ever, and ever, God's presence is with you, and he will make you whole, all because of Christ. Go in his peace, beloved.